0: I'm Grant Oliphant. This is We Can Be. As a child, my next guest found exhilaration in the run from the car to the creek that ran behind her family's ranch in the Northern California woodlands. Rue Map has kept that sense of wonder, and her explorative spirit led her to found Outdoor Afro, the nation's leading social network that celebrates and inspires African-American connections in nature. Started as a blog in 2009, Outdoor Afro quickly gained national attention, spreading across the country and garnering Rue media profiles on CNN and NPR and in the Wall Street Journal, National Geographic, and proving that she has definitely captured the zeitgeist, Oprah Magazine. She has been a part of Michelle Obama's Let's Move initiative, received the National Wildlife Federation's Communication Award, and was recently honored with the 2019 Heinz Award in the Environment category. She is also just an incredibly wonderful person. Smart, thoughtful, and fun. Roomap, I'm really grateful to have you here.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
0: I have to start by just acknowledging that you and I had never met until I made a phone call to you to tell you that you were the 2019 winner of the Heinz Award in the Environment. What was that like?
1: To say it was a surprise is an understatement. And as you explained the award to me and what it meant, you know, that this was about lifting up a value of a family. That they wanted to continue to honor in perpetuity, and that I got to be a part of that, mm. was deeply moving to me. I was in tears. Mm. I mean, I, we should have done that via video. You would have seen, <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. I was just just deeply honored uh, yeah. to be a part of the Heinz family legacy, and it really touched me because of how Outdoor Afro is also about my family's legacy.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about your family legacy and how you came to the work that you do. You grew up being exposed to two worlds in multiple ways, I think it's fair to say. Can you tell us a little bit about the childhood that brought you to where you are?
1: Yes. Well, my parents, they came from a, a Jim Crow South. I often refer to as they came... From in search of the warmth of other suns. Isabel Wilkerson wrote an amazing book about the great migration of African-Americans from the South to the North and the East and the West. And and my parents were a part of that. And I had previously thought it was so much about economic opportunity, but it was also this longing for freedom Mm -hmm. and humanity. It was called the Great Migration. It was the outpouring of six million African-Americans From the Jim Crow South to the cities of the North and West from the time of World War I until the 1970s. It was a decision to leave all that they had known and all of the people that they had loved and to set out for a place far far away that they had never seen in hopes that life might be better. This was the first time in American history that American citizens had to flee the land of their birth just to be recognized as the citizens that they had always been. And what my parents brought with them to Oakland, California, was this love of the outdoors and nature. That experience of growing up in both Oakland and in this ranch about 100 miles north of Oakland.
0: Did did they own the ranch? They owned the
1: ranch. And it was about 14 acres. It was Mm -hmm. along a creek the thing I love to do is to just jump out the car as soon as we'd arrive and head down to the creek to see what was new. Mm. To see how the tadpoles turned into frogs or to check out the levels of the creek after a rainy season. I was able to ride my bike, you know, just in these quiet, quiet roads and see these stars that would just pop out in the sky. And then there was hunting and fishing and laying up vegetables and fruits. Mm. My dad made wine. And it was not just the experience of being outdoors and to have this nature know-how instilled in me, but it was also this place of hospitality where people in our family who didn't have access to that kind of nature could come and feel welcomed. And there were times we had so many people spending the night that people were sleeping on the kitchen floor. Now you know. Yeah, that means they <laughs> you know it's a full house. That's right. <laughs> and so this thread of loving land and loving people, you know, really uh, informed the person that I am today. And then I continued to do those things back at home in Oakland through Girl Scouts and you know other environmental education and opportunities, but there was really nothing like having this experience of witnessing wonder. And just the way that people got to be and to be free of those isms that plague us in our day-to-day lives.
0: You have siblings, right? I do. I and are do. they as into nature as you are from that experience? or
1: Yes and no. I think I definitely went a lot further with yeah. it um, because I was able to build on those experiences in some pretty profound ways that uncovered the opportunity in nature to learn mm-hmm. not only about nature Itself, but to learn about myself. I often talk about my experience with Outward Bound, how I learned the lesson to trust my feet. Uh, Mountain Mm. climbing for the very first time and really having a panic attack on the side of the mountain. I couldn't see. It was a night climb. Mm. We were going to camp at the summit. And at the point of breaking down, my instructor leaned over and said, Rue, just trust your feet. And those were these magic words that, helped me to just scamper up to the top. And I've been trusting my feet ever since. And that's when I knew that nature was a powerful teacher and and that was the lesson I needed to learn at 20 years old that I could dig in and I I could move forward. I knew the lessons that I learned and I wanted everybody to have access to that knowledge.
0: And that desire ultimately led you in, I think 2009, to write a blog and that became the idea for Outdoor Afro, would you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, you know, it was one of those moments, you know, where I was asked a question by a mentor because I had started a family and had three kids. And by the time I had this conversation, I was no longer married, still with three kids, thinking about going to grad school. And that would have required a lot of change in my life and my mentor She says, if time and money were not an issue, what would you be doing? Mm. And I opened my mouth and my life fell out. Wow! I said, oh, I'd probably start a website to reconnect African-Americans to the outdoors. Two weeks after that conversation, Outdoor Afro was born.
0: You know, a lot of people hit that moment. And God bless your mentor. But a lot of people would have hemmed and hawed and spent the next 30 years figuring out what they thought the answer should be. Uh, I love your description that your life fell out. So what what yeah, happened to you in that moment?
1: I think for all of us, the things that we're really passionate about, you know, you just kind of shrug off as, you know, the ABCs of me. You know, yeah, yeah I like nature. Yeah, I like to be on my bike. Yeah, I like camping. Yeah, I like technology. Yeah, I love, you know, the, the, the history of African-Americans yeah. and families. Family life and community and and justice. These are all things that were all just present in my life quietly, just in the shadows almost. They weren't anything that I thought could be a career or could get any kind of momentum outside of my imagination. Hmm. Getting the chance to just allow what was already present to be heard was um, transformative. And what happened was that people responded to me and let me know that they love nature, too. And I realized that all of these people out here, like me, who thought they were the only ones, that when we got together in this digital conversation, we were actually quite numerous. Mm -hmm. That's when I understood that we had a visual representation problem. Mm. The story of African Americans and their love for the outdoors, that there were p- people like my folks all over. That's when you know Outdoor Afro turned from becoming about a personal narrative and sharing to this national conversation that really kicked off a momentum around building community and healing in nature. And that's the place where Outdoor Afro lives today. Outdoor Afro is letting people know that they are welcome in the outdoors not only to connect with birds and other wildlife and our habitats and these natural spaces that bring us so much joy and peace and tranquility, but they also have this invitation to connect with each other and to build community and ultimately to find healing. Nature's for everybody. You don't have to be rich, you don't have to be poor, you don't have to be somebody that uh, is a survivalist. It's just, it's an escape. It's something, it's, it's there for all of us.
0: The very next year Michelle Obama comes calling, is that right? that you, you start getting involved in yeah. sort of national things?
1: Yeah, it was really, you know, much like your call <laughs> a couple months ago. <laughs> and, you know, I get this email from the White House. It started off the White House cordially invites you to, and I'm thinking weigh in on health care make a donation. right? Right. And then right. I'm reading along and it's talking about conservation. It's talking about reconnecting Americans to public lands. It's talking mm-hmm. about all the various agencies that are going to come together in an unprecedented way to talk about the America's great outdoors. And that brought me into a room of conservation leadership from around the country. And I didn't even know any of these people existed, okay? Like, I was just minding my business doing my blog and working at the Audubon Society part-time and didn't know that I was connected to a much bigger industry and conversation about conservation that I, too could be a conservationist. Mm-hmm. And then subsequent to that, I was invited by Michelle Obama's Let's Move to talk about the rollout of the Let's Move initiative. Experts tell us that kids need 60 minutes of activity a day to grow up healthy. And we know that regular physical activity boosts kids' concentration and creativity, and is even linked to improve academic performance. Best of all, moving around is just plain fun. And one of the most fun ways to get moving is by exploring America's great outdoors. No matter where you live, there are places near you to get out and get active. From biking around your neighborhood to playing tag or capture the flag in an urban park. From hiking on a mountain trail to paddling around a lake or catching an early morning wave. The great outdoors is America's first and best playground. So what are you waiting for? Grab a backpack and get moving outside with your family today. It was an honor to be able to inform the unveiling of that really popular and powerful initiative that really got to the heart of what this work is about, and that's, you know, people, you know, having a chance to live a better life through their connections to the outdoors.
0: It almost feels to me like we have to explain something to the white folks who are listening about the fact that there is a racial divide in terms of the enjoyment of the outdoors. And maybe a way to get into that is to talk about a well-shared blog on your site. I've got the title written down here, Stereotype or Fact, Black People Don't Camp. Why was that blog so popular? What does it get at that all of us, black or white, need to know?
1: There are definitely differences that have to do with privilege and access and opportunity around leisure time. Let's Mm -hmm. just start there. Do you have the time to actually go to a place you've never been before, hours from from your home to spend over a weekend. And so I think time really presents itself as one of the biggest barriers to access. But then there's also something you know, that is absolutely important to talk about, that the woods have not always represented safety,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. that trees have not represented safety,
0: mm.
1: that those spaces and places have been platforms for terror. Right. In a very recent history, And when I asked my dad about, you know, did you know anyone who was lynched? Mm -hmm. I just, I just asked in a very just off the cuff way when I was eight years old. And he says, yeah, all the time. Really. So when you think about going out Mm -hmm. into the woods and doing something where you don't have your community accessible to you, that's a pretty big ask mm-hmm. for some folks and even to this day safety is what mm-hmm. comes up for people not this bucolic leisurely right you know inspirational experience all the time
0: your notion of the trauma that lives within black folks around nature potentially reminds me of the science that we're now learning about epigenetic trauma and yes. the traumas that are handed down to us yes. in our genes, essentially. Yes. So it's not as though you forget that history. It also gets affirmed in, uh, in ways that Many people, you know if you're not the only in the room, if you're not the person who is considered different, you never think about it. Yeah. But the blog I was mentioning earlier, the writer, and I think she's a member of your team, writes about um, being on the on the hiking trail and encountering a group of white hikers who treated her with suspicion. Yes, wanting to know, why are you here? Yes. Can you just say a little bit more about that?
1: It's a fairly common experience, quite frankly, mm-hmm. um, especially when we come out as groups. Another leader in our network had a similar experience where there was a the inquiry of, of, what what is this group doing? What is your purpose? They yelled out racial slurs at us. And this happened on multiple occasions throughout the couple of days that we were there you know in dealing with situations like this you kind of have to to me rise above or at least try your best to do so and that's what we did so we let a lot of things roll off of our backs and you know kind of tried to ignore things saturday night it got to a point where that was not an option anymore so we then notified the campground personnel who went and spoke to this group and whatever was said enraged them even further and from that point things just got really crazy and the main aggressor of that group then charged our campground yelling that he was going to kill us and using racial slurs while doing it this is a family camping trip so there were kids there were elderly people it was one of the most scary situations that i've ever been in in my life We have to defend our belonging Mm -hmm. in those spaces, Mm -hmm. that it's not assumed that we're there for good purpose or that we're there and doing it the right way. Mm. Uh, One time uh, someone wanted to partner with us because they wanted to make sure that that we knew how to do nature right.
0: How did you react to that? with grace.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we're back to the asset based conversation with Outdoor Afro that does not live in the pain, but lives instead in the healing and in the aspiration. And I think a lot about our nature teachers, people in our own families. And then I often talk about people like Harriet Tubman. She, to me, is the original outdoor Afro, Mm. in that Mm. she had to know land. Mm -hmm. She had to know the calls of the wild. She had to know the stars to navigate. It was that knowledge, that nature know-how is what helped her to get people free. Mm. And we have that opportunity through this work to help us unlock that freedom. Um, and I see it, I see it time and again, in I'm continually learning about what it means for people to get into a platform such as nature that doesn't care about, you know, the trees do not know you're black, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: the birds do not know how much money mm-hmm. you have in your account, and the flowers are going to bloom no matter your gender. Right. What a relief it is to just go out with people and just be in those spaces that neutralize all of the weight of the things that we carry around or are imposed on us in our daily walk.
0: And it seems that Outdoor Afro has, in essence, two missions. One clearly is to push back against stereotypes that say that black people aren't in nature and to make it clear that that's okay and important and welcome. But then the second, and maybe the more important one, from the way you describe it, is that liberating black folks to be able to own their experience with wonder and with nature again. Yes, You've used a phrase, asset-based, I'd like you to unpack that. You know, when you talk about that as an antidote to the historical trauma around nature, mm-hmm. what does that mean?
1: I think in the traditional environmental and conservation world, you know, we have the story of we must go and rescue the poor black children from mm-hmm. their community and take them to the wilderness for them to have a conversion experience mm-hmm. that will undoubtedly mean they'll be environmental stewards. And they'll go home and they'll convert their families to become environmental stewards. People just rattle that off Mm -hmm. as though it's something that really happens. And that's not really true. People have a connection to nature already. And when people say things like, well, black people don't, once you go there, you're in a corner, you're defending something. And so I love to Instead, start questions or start the conversation with, here's how. Mm. And that's way more generative and fun. And it also really helps us to be more reflective. There's an equalizing opportunity, Mm -hmm. I feel, so that we're not othering and that we're honoring exactly where people are and really validating where people are and not uh, relegating outdoor experiences to what you see in the mainstream magazines, which haven't done a great job of telling the story of everybody in nature.
0: There's substantial research at this point about the health effects of exposure to the outdoors in terms of helping people to cope with stress, with inflammation, with heart issues, and on down a list of modern afflictions, which are in many cases so stress-related Nature, it turns out, is an antidote to that, also helps with learning. There's been a lot of writing about that. Yes. Do you think of access to nature as a basic human right? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, as you said, if you have these huge disparities of access, Mm -hmm. that they're going to tie closely with quality of life and opportunities to survive. Right, right. It's mind-boggling that in one generation we've lost that connection. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that when you were a child, you probably had a square mile that you could roam mm-hmm. without a cell phone. That's right. You know, in fact, I remember getting kicked out of the house. Yep. You cannot
0: come. Come back in hours. Yeah, <laughs>
1: right. Can't come in. The water hose was your water source. Right, right. <laughs> and I just think about the grit, you know, the executive thinking, you know, the problem solving the ability to just dust off and and keep going, that I I know that my children, they have a harder time accessing those skills because they just did not have that kind of access to nature and the ability to lead as a young child in those spaces that were the domain of of children and the wild.
0: Hmm. How is it to be doing this work at a time where the conversation about both nature And race are so broken and where from the top of the political leadership a set of messages is repeatedly coming that we don't really much need nature in fact we're almost engaged in a war against it and that the divisions between us along racial lines are actually to be exploited How does that affect your work, and how does it affect you psychologically as you do it? I
1: had no idea how urgent this work would be. Mm -hmm. I have become incredibly grateful to have work that has been a source of healing that I can lean into with others in times of trouble. Mm. There was, uh, as you know, a few years back, this peak of awareness and tension involving, you know, the police-involved violence. Right. People were taking to the streets and they were protesting. I didn't know what Outdoor Afro's role needed to be in that moment. Do I take to the streets? do I get my sign and be out with the crowd and I was walking to my car in Oakland and you know helicopters are all out people are boarding up their buildings with plywood and through all of that noise the answer came and the answer was you do nature rue hmm. that's your lane mm-hmm. that weekend I brought together partners and about 30 people uh, that we reached out to in our local network, and we did a healing hike. And we got into those coast redwoods, and I could just feel the stress falling off of people mm-hmm. and it wasn't all black people and it wasn't all the same opinion mm-hmm. about what was going on in the world. Mm-hmm. But in that space, we it was a moment of equalization. We were equalized and we were distressing. There were no police in riot gear.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's a stream at the bottom of this Redwood Bowl. Once we got there, as we were walking along it, I knew that we were doing what African Americans have always known we could do. And that's to lay down our burdens down by the riverside. And it just made me double down on making sure that we lifted up that opportunity for everyone in the work that we do and getting people outside.
0: That's so beautiful and so striking. You know, so often we think of nature as a place to escape to and escape from. We rarely think of it as a place to make connections and find common ground. You just described it as a place to find that. Absolutely. Is that common in the work that you do?
1: Yeah, it's intentional. I mean, we've been doing healing hikes ever since. Yeah. It's now part of the curriculum that we use to train our Outdoor Afro leaders so that they can go out in the world and, and lead with you know confidence but also resiliency mm-hmm. against the stereotype that persists. And I just hear so many stories where people's lives are just transformed. Mm-hmm. Not because they are participants in nature, but they are leaders in nature. That's really the, kind of been the secret sauce is leadership.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that that's where the modern environmental movement missed out. Because mm-hmm. if you're playing to the poorest and the youngest, then you're not playing also to the community that surrounds, that is quite diverse mm. and has agency who vote, mm. who care about laws that protect the environment. And so Outdoor Afro has been all about nurturing that possibility and really, you know, shifting not only this visual representation of who gets outside, but who leads right. outside.
0: You now have, I think, 80 different leaders in 30 different states. Yeah,
1: close to and, 90 now. Yeah,
0: excellent. And including here in Pittsburgh. Yes. Do you see differences around the country in terms of what emerges and what's necessary? Absolutely. And what does that look like? Absolutely.
1: And that was one of the things that when we started the Afro leadership team back in 2013, it was like a baker's dozen, you know, mm-hmm. because I realized that the black experience is not a monolith Right, that there are some regional differences as well as opportunities mm-hmm. that are unique that need to be lifted up. Mm-hmm. And having people in a community that understood those nuances, the kinds of wild you have accessible to you and how that landscape informs the history and the culture of a people is something that we always tease out and celebrate. So we're not just getting outside and, you know, traipsing down down the trail. We're actually learning about the natural history. We're also learning about African-American history. We're not always uh, represented in the interpretation of these spaces. And so outdoor Afro leaders, they actually do an incredible amount of due diligence before going on a trail. And we find African-American history almost everywhere we go and Mm. this is so important because it helps people to feel a sense of belonging and connection to a place.
0: Mm. So I'm thinking about the Uh, recognitions that you've gotten, and you're honored as one of the Root's 100 most influential African-Americans. You're a National Geographic Fellow. You're in town to receive a Heinz Award uh, in the category of the environment, And and the Heinz Family Foundation, as they've honored folks in this, have honored people who are doing an incredible array of diverse activity. From science to direct experience in nature, Ming Kuo, Peggy Shepard, Lois Gibbs are among women who have previously received the award. Do you think of yourself in that lineage of women environmentalists?
1: I think it's super incredible and important as a black woman to be recognized in the area of the environment mm. because the sample size of people who are in this space and who are in leadership is very small, mm. right? I want other young black girls, teens, young women, to see that, hey, that's a pathway for me. Mm -hmm. There's an opening there. There's a space for me that's welcoming and that will acknowledge me and that will honor me. So I think that there's a a symbolic as well as a literal um, honor in being able to show up in this way. and uh, But I think that you're right. You know, it's not, you know, when I think about, again, the outdoors, you know, it is an open source platform mm-hmm. to get a lot of
0: things done. Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of healing. I love
0: that, an uh, open source platform. Yeah,
1: I yeah. mean, it's where you can get, pretty much every problem solved. (laughs) You can connect with people, relate to people in much deeper ways than inside of four walls. And there's a symbiotic relationship between making sure that we're protecting those places so that we can continue to be better humans and stewards for the natural world and for all of its inhabitants' benefits.
0: Of all the magnificent places you've been, what gives you the most peace? Where have you felt the most peace? The redwoods.
1: The coast redwoods that are unique to California that love the fog. They are so majestic. They are so beautiful. And there's a coolness and wisdom whenever I'm around them. The thing about the redwoods where I grew up is that they are second and third growth redwoods as you know, in the 1860s. Everything uh, got logged. Everything got logged. 20 to 40 foot wide redwoods were put to service Mm. to build those Victorian homes, Mm. you know, from a a booming, that's like the the first dot com era. (laughs) Um, And a major disruption Mm. of people, of native people, of the landscape. What those redwoods represent to me when I'm with them is regeneration. And redwoods, they grow in a stand, you know, in a clump. It will look like just a clump of trees together. But underneath the ground is a root system that's interconnected. And there's this one part of the trail that I took these Girl Scouts on. There's an overhang where you can actually see the root system. So I asked this Girl Scout, I said, what do you think this looks like? And she's like, it looks like a family so the trees, those trees, wow. teach, yeah. teach me about, because they can grow tall, yeah. because of, they can be resilient to winds, because of the strength that binds them together. And they can return. We can learn from those trees. We can learn about pulling together to be strong and to come back
0: if there is a young you listening out there who is uneasy about the outdoors what would you say to her now what do you want her to know
1: that the outdoors is everywhere and you can find your outdoors anywhere nature is everywhere and it's here for you whenever you're ready to embrace it
0: the name of our podcast is we can be we always like to end by asking our guests to just share their thoughts about how they would complete that sentence in terms of what's important to them. We can be what?
1: We can be whole.
0: Rue, thank you so much. This has been a joy.
1: Thank you. It's my honor.
0: It's clear that Rue brings her whole open heart to her work, When she says her aim is to empower all to have the opportunity to, quote, lay down our burdens by the riverside, she touches at the heart of what her work is all about. It meant an enormous amount to Rue that she won the Heinz Award in the category of the environment where she sees so few black people being recognized. Now she is building a community that is talking honestly about both the historical trauma associated with nature and the opportunity it brings for healing, health, fellowship and joy for African-Americans and for a divided country. Rue said that at a terrifying moment on a mountainside, a guide told her to trust her feet and she did. We're grateful that Rue's feet have found their path and are leading the way in ensuring that all of us feel welcome to explore the outdoors and to experience nature as a refuge from our many isms.